small town. Good morning. Glad you're here. Welcome to the first message of our new series called Hometowns. And I grew up right near downtown Los Angeles. And as long as I can remember, people talked about moving out of the city to a small town. It was Colorado for a while, Idaho, Washington State, um, just a lot of different places. In America, there's a lot of lore about small town life. It wasn't hard to find a song that, you know, we could introduce the series with. Um, there's this pool. People long to live sometimes in an idyllic small town. Frankly, I'm a city boy. I, I like the city. I don't, and I think there's a reason why I'm okay with living in the city. And that's really what we're going to talk about. But people want that small community where everybody knows everybody. There's a real sense of belonging. People work together for the good of the community and kids can be raised in a safe environment. There's something in us that wants it. This is what you saw on the Andy Griffith show. If I could whistle, I'd whistle. (laughs) See, I can't whistle. I just proved it. I should have just stopped right there with I can't whistle. Ah, but uh, here's a picture of the, the, the lead end to that. The you know, show had a lovable cast of characters. Andy, the sheriff, he was a star, he was a good man. Barney Fife, the bumbling deputy, uh, lovable as well. Aunt B, uh, the sweet caretaker. And Otis Campbell, who was even a lovable town drunk. Yeah, I, I'm not sure how you pull that off, but they did. Rascal Flat sings, I Miss Mayberry. Sitting on the front porch, sipping, sorry, drinking ice-cold cherry Coke. And you have to pause. But they miss Mayberry. Mayberry reminded me of Hartshorn, Oklahoma, which is where my grandmother lived. And I visited there every year. Uh, Hartshorn, Oklahoma. It was uh, a twin city with Haleyville right next to it. The total population of 1,500. Uh, between those two twin cities. Um, what's been happening is the world's been migrating to the city from a rural setting over the last several hundred years. And I wonder how many of us have direct ties to a small town or a village. I know I do, Hartshorn and Haleyville, for sure. Uh, our executive pastor, Alex Barrett, uh, his Grand Ruth lives in Huntingdon, England, which is a very small rural village, very quaint. Was able to visit there a couple of years ago, really enjoyed that. The lady who cuts my hair grew up in a small mountain village in Korea. She said her grandparents don't have any teeth because there's not a dentist nearby, so they have to eat very soft, soft food. Um, but we, we have, most of us have ties to a small town because the world's been migrating to the cities. The Industrial Revolution has really changed the dynamics of families and towns and the social structure at large. Several families and extended families used to make up community populations of the towns and villages. Um, Families were more cohesive and people could count on others near them for economic, social support when they needed it, and the community pitched in to help when they needed it as well. So this is, this is all 
how it was in the past, we, that resonates with us. There's something deep in us that really would love that. Um, since industrialization, the family's more fragmented. Uh, people are more mobile. In the past, you would likely work in the family enterprise from a, a young age, farming or trade or small business. And in time, if you're the oldest in the family, you'd probably take over that, that small business. Uh, there, there, you would live, grow up, and be buried in that hometown. And you might live next to the cemetery where everybody was buried. It would be obvious. There are still a few places like this. I'd like to show you another clip that sort of describes a town in Kansas like this. On Atterberg's people, you know, many think small towns are dying. Well, not so. A small town can be surprising even when you think they're all the same. Take Mayfield, Kansas, just a little west of Wellington and Sumner County. Now, there aren't a lot of folks who live there, but those who do, put it on the map. Been here all my life and really enjoyed it. A real quiet community. Downtown Mayfield, Kansas is like a prairie flower. Now, some may disagree on its beauty, but for those who live and work here, like Steve Metzen and his family, it is part of a heritage. His family began this business in 1947, and cutting meat has been the family's specialty. Oh, yeah, I've always enjoyed it. You know, some people thinking, hey, you've been cutting meat that long. Do you even care for meat or anything? And, yeah, it doesn't bother me at all. On the other end of Mayfield Street, you'll find Dick Goodrun. He's been building fire trucks, yep, fire trucks, for years. We built a truck from scratch, yes. We've done quite a few of them over the years, so it's gets where we can usually custom build the way the fire department wants it. Both Steve and Dick cater to larger areas, but prefer to live in tiny Mayfield. Oh, yeah. I've always enjoyed living in the small towns. That's where I grew up, and that's where I've lived all my life, so that's where I wanted to be with the business. Steve owns the meat-cutting business and grocery store, and it is his family who runs it. That's his wife, Jamie. His mother marries over at the cash register, and while Steve and Jamie handle the back room duties, the nine-year-old daughter Isabella is right there beside them. And it is in every way a family business. Um, you, you can get a sense of continuity in the butcher's comments. And there's a lot of power in continuity. And this is what my family does. This is what we do. And, and so... Since there's this power in this, we, we have this sense that we need our lives to flow out of the past and to continue on. And the good news is, in Jesus, we, we can have that, um, no matter where you start from. Since industrialization, families have been more fragmented by kids going off to college. That really wasn't something that happened uh, in the past. They would seek careers. Careers started driving things. And they would, kids would go to college, they'd seek a career in an area, in a city where the hometown wouldn't support it. So having a career apart from the family enterprise was not, not normal, not, not that long ago, a couple hundred years ago. Now families are spread across the country and even the world, like my hair cutter uh, from Korea that I mentioned. I, I'm not bringing this up because I want to talk about industrialization um, and globalization. Uh, <laughs> but
But I, I want to talk about this longing for a hometown that we have. It, it goes back to a time when our family ties were not uprooted like they are today by the pursuit of education and career. But it also goes back further, way back. And we're going to look at where it goes to. We're going to trace the beginning of this longing in a few minutes. But first, I want to preview the series for you. The heart of the series is that the church can be a place where you have a hometown sense, a feel to it. I think this is why I don't mind cities. Because I grew up, I grew up in a church where we had, we had a, a great community of people that supported one another. You had examples that pulled you along in the right direction. And so I, I had a hometown, even though my surroundings weren't necessarily friendly to what I was trying to do in life. You, in, in this, Hometown of the church, you can know others, you can be known by them, everybody can know everybody. There is a deep sense of belonging. We, we work together for the good of our area and support each other as we raise our kids. Let me, let me rephrase. Maybe everybody doesn't know everybody, but you know enough people beyond your little circle to really move forward in life. Check out the program cover. I, I, I like that picture on the program cover, a quaint hometown, small town in the middle of the big city. This is what I experienced. This is what I hope everyone who becomes a part of Church of the Valley can experience, this sense of hometown in the middle of the big city in which we live. So this is what God wants the church to be, and so we're going to look at very various aspects of the church as a hometown in this in this series. First of all, today we're going to look at the longing for a hometown. As I said, we're going to trace where that desire comes from for this larger community, a village of people to be connected to. Um, next week we're going to look at city limits. What are the borders of the church community that help us grow the trust that allows relationships to flourish? What are those borders, the city limits? How do we live inside of those? Then the, the next week, third week, getting involved, the importance of getting connected, staying connected to the church community, and some of the barriers that we have to hurdle to connect. Uh, heroes is the next week. Hometown heroes and their character shapes the ideals of the community. The leaders we select should motivate us toward the right things. This is true in the church. This is true in the cities. And nations. Um, and then the next week after that, fault lines, how to fight the pull of fragmented relationships and work toward unity. And then finally, hometown hospitality. You find in Scripture that hospitality is incredibly important in the church. It's, it's a pure expression of love. And so we're going to look at why that is and how that is and Aim toward hospi being hospitable to one another and, and our guests here in the church community. So, as I said, I want to start out by tracing the roots of our desire to be connected to a larger community. And it goes back to the very beginning. Our longing for a hometown reflects the image of God in us. This is where it comes from. It comes when we were made, when the first two people were made, 
they were made in the image of God, and we were as well. That means we're all made in the image of God. So it helps to know some things about God himself. First of all, before I start talking about God uh, and who he is and, and what he's like, I want to point out that there's only one God. There's only one like him. No one else or nothing else compares to God. This, this makes it a little difficult to grasp who he is or what he's like, particularly what he's like. We can know enough about him to completely trust him. But still, he's not like us. It's not we can't see him. He's spirit. And so when we look at what Scripture says about God and what he's like, we have nothing in our immediate experience to compare him to. He's incomparable, literally. And so this means that we have to take the right vantage point when we think about God. In our current way of thinking, we tend to start from men and women. We tend to start from ourselves, really, and try to think things through rationally or experientially. We want to have an experience or we want to have an idea that turns the lights on for us and I know God now. I understand him. That's, that's really not how it works. And in line with this, we try to, the current way of thinking, we try to figure out God from our vantage point outward. In reality, we are totally dependent on what God has told us about himself. We have to rely on what he's shown us about himself, his character and what he's like. We wouldn't know anything about God if he hadn't revealed himself to us. And so this is a crucial starting point. The Bible. This is where he's revealed who he is and what he's like to us. And so to understand God, we start with his vantage point that he's shown us in the scripture, not with our own looking outward. God's a relational being. You see this very early in the scriptures. He's made people and has consistently taken initiative to relate to the people he's made. In the Garden of Eden, he walked and talked with Adam and Eve. In the evening, in the cool of the evening. But this relationship was broken by their rebellion. But God persisted. He's relational. He made us to have a relationship with us. And so he persisted in pursuing the people he, he's made. He, he has a plan to restore the broken relationship between ourselves and God that's created by our rebellion. So he kept making himself known to people throughout history. He also inspired the men who wrote the words of the Bible. God did this so that we could know him and know what he's like. And so this is where we have to start. Now, what we learn in the Bible is that God is Trinity. That's a word that we've created to describe God, which literally means three persons in one being. Now, we look around, we don't know anybody like that. <laughs> we, that's very hard to grasp how, how that could be. But this is how God has revealed himself. This is actually how he revealed himself because this is what God is like. This is who he is. 
There is no one like this, and there is nothing in all creation that compares to God as Trinity. People are one person, one being. We don't, we don't compare to God. This makes it difficult to grasp the concept of the Trinity. Now, I'm personally glad that we have a God who's beyond us, that he's not like me. We tend to, what we tend to do when we start with ourselves is we create God in our own image. But God made us in his image, and there are things about us, we're not exactly like him. But there are things about us that he's built into us that reflect who he is and what he's like. The word Trinity doesn't appear in the Bible, but you can see the concept clearly. Check out Genesis 1, 26 and 27. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. Did you read that? Let us. Is that a typo or a misprint? No, it's not. Let us. Three persons, one Godhead, one being of God. This, this is seen all through the scripture. It's the first, this is the first glimpse that we have into the fact that God is a trinity. There are other passages where you see God as trinity in the Bible. Uh, on uh, the screen, you will see some of those mentioned. Um, when Jesus was baptized, you see all three persons of the trinity involved. When he was baptized, God the Father spoke, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. God the Son was being obedient and being baptized. God, the Holy Spirit, descended like a dove and rested on Jesus, the Son. You see them all involved in the baptism. Christ followers are commanded to make disciples of all nations in Jesus' great commission in Matthew 28:19, We're commanded to baptize in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. The three members of the Trinity have different roles in our salvation, but equal roles. And so you see the Trinity here as well. Practically, God as Trinity means he's always existed in a meaningful relationship. And so this, this longing for meaningful relationships with a larger group of people has been built into us. It reflects the nature of God. He is a relational being and he's always experienced community in himself. He, he doesn't need us, but he wanted us. He wanted to make us so that we could know him, so that he could love us, and that so potentially we would love him back. This is all in the plan of God. You see the Trinity in other places at creation, as I just read. You see the Trinity working together, and there's a sense of joy in what they're doing. Hey, let us make man in our image. You know, there's this sense of we're doing this together. In John 14, 25 and 26, you can read through these later if you'd like. You learn they support one another. They're, they're extremely supportive. In Mark 9, 7, you discover they love, they love one another. They defer to one another, as you see in John 14, 10. They aim to bring glory to one another in John 17, 1. 
God exists in perfect community in his own being. Hard to grasp, isn't it? That's a, that's a mind blower for us human beings. If you're trying to figure him out from your own vantage point, can't do it. But if you're looking at what Scripture says and trying to understand God and who he is from what he's shown us about himself, you, hey, that's, that's the way it is. There's something about it that makes sense that God wouldn't be limited like the people he made. There's something about this that makes a tremendous amount of sense. So we're also, since he exists in perfect community, men and women who are made in his image are also made for community. He made us with a need for other people. He wants us to experience the joy of relating in a group of people where we really connect and enjoy one another. So we have this built-in need for community. And, and this is why God gave the first two people the ability to make more people. <laughs> Look at Genesis 1.28. God blessed them and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the, every living thing that moves on the earth. So this, this be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth is the genesis of families, towns, villages, cities, and nations. We, we spread out over the earth in response to God's command to fill the earth. And this, so that, what it meant, this command means that we had to explore, we had to make our home in various places in the world. And we've experienced trying to live together in community. Now, as I said, God exists in perfect community, but we, we do not. Uh, since the rebellion of men and women toward God, we struggle with getting along. Relationships are strained. People hurt each other, and so they want to curl up like a roly-poly bug. My grandkids love these things. I think there's one in my house right now. It was left at our in, inside yesterday. I, I I heard one of them say, oh, I lost it. And I thought, all right, there we go. But check out that roly-poly bug. When, when they're threatened, they roll up. It's, it's really armadillidium is what that, I think that's it. That makes sense, armadillo. Um, but here, here's what they do. When, when they're threatened, they roll up. These bugs roll up into themselves, and we do the same. When we get hurt, we, we roll up into ourselves. When, when we get hurt, we isolate ourselves. And our life is less than God made us to live. And it loses much of its meaning when we do that. When we isolate ourselves, when we roll up into ourselves. We live a lonely existence. The way things are today, we experience a breakdown of community on all levels. Families struggle to get along and often break apart. Cities are full of racial tension and the country's reeling from it. Leaders of nations use their people and they cause great damage when God intends for them to bless those under their leadership. 
Community leaders defraud and they embezzle. They do other wrongs. Um, church leaders do evil that severely hurts and generates a lack of trust. This is, this is our world because we rebelled against God. And so when these things go on, the tendency is to roll up like that bug and just isolate ourselves. Hopefully nothing will get in here to hurt me again. This won't happen. In this series, we're going to look into Scripture to discover God's plan to meet our need for community in spite of the breakdown that we see and experience all around us. A big part of God's plan that we find out about in the Scripture, in the Bible, is that the church is designed to be our hometown on this side of heaven. If, you, if you've decided to follow Christ and you've set your heart to go His way, then the church itself is the hometown. I think this is one of the main reasons I don't mind living in a city, because I have a hometown. <laughs> I have people around me who love me, who know me, I have, pe- I have men that would just pound me into the ground if I really messed up. I, I, have, I have people around that I know would really sacrifice for me if I needed it. And so I grew up in a, in a hometown like that, in a church hometown. And so I didn't mind living in a big city. I kind of I love the big city. I like the Dodgers. Sorry they lost yesterday. Um, but th- this is why. This is this is what God intends the church to be. Is this community? As we as we experience the breakdown of it, that we and and the hurt and the disappointment and the pain. God wants us to be a community that's tied together by relationships, not on a map. You aren't going to find our community on a map. Well, okay. You can find the building we meet in. You can find the office we use. Someday, Lord willing, we'll, we'll have a building that is a church building. And we will be on a map. But that's, that's not the church. Those are all tools. The church is tied together with relationships. It's not a geographic community. It's a relational community. We get connected to God in Christ, and he connects us as a church in a spiritual but very real way. Look at 1 Peter 2, 4 and 5. As you come to him, in other words, as you decide to follow Christ, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house. Now, that word for house there is not, uh, it's not the word for a building. In the Greek, oikos is used to describe a household, which is your family, your friends, your associates. It's, it's a larger group of people of about usually 50 to 100. So as you come to Christ, you decide to follow him. He's, he wants to build you into a spiritual oikos where you have family, friends, associates that you relate to and you go through life with these folks. This is God's intent for the church. 
in a church that believes and lives the Bible, you can have a family, an extended family and associates that could be the hometown that you're missing and more beyond it. God wants the church to fill this need. Not perfectly. The church doesn't do it perfectly. But he wants it to fill the need of this larger community that we walk through life with. Notice that First Peter says, Christ followers are being built into a spiritual house. And we have to cooperate with him for that to happen. We, he's, he, the way God is, he, he doesn't just take us and <clears throat> take us like a brick and build a building out of it. That's not what God does. God wants us to cooperate with him to become a part of this spiritual house that he's making. And we have to cooperate. God brings us together to serve a purpose, to glorify him, to accomplish his will in the world. But the choice is ours. We must be intentional to find a local hometown to be a part of and take the steps to connect. We'll have to fight through the fears of the past to do that. When we've been disappointed, there will be scares in the present as we take steps to connect. But we're going to have to choose it. If you're trying to follow Christ without being connected to a church body, a hometown, you, you won't experience life the way God intended you to experience it. So please connect at your pace, either to this hometown or to another, but, but, but dive in. Step by step, become a part. You see the longing to connect in the world at large in different ways. One of these ways you see on a website called meetups.com. The tagline is, find your people. And the goal is for neighbors getting together to learn something, do something, and share something. There are 9,265 meetups within a two-mile radius of, of the area I chose to show this up and they range from a cycling club to a salsa and cha-cha-cha group to a coffee house writers group so there, there's all kinds of things that that people do to connect to get together with others these, these kind of things can meet felt needs that's why this website exists that's why these things happen but the church is designed to go far beyond the needs that are met in something like this these aren't bad. I'm not saying don't join a meetup. <clears throat> Some of them I would suggest you not join. <laughs> but they're good. They're okay. But the church can be so much more than what you get out of that. We miss the value of being connected to a hometown church community if we don't push through some barriers that keep us from participating. So over the course of this series... What I want to do is ask you to identify if there are barriers that are keeping you from connecting to the church. I'm going to talk about the value of what it, what it is to be in the community, the church community, the hometown. And I'd like to ask you as we're going through to consider any barriers to identify those that are keeping you on the outside. Here's some common barriers to making the church my hometown. If you don't feel connected, I encourage you to begin to think through these, uh, the things that might be causing you to stay disconnected. There's a tremendous amount of value in being connected to the church hometown. 
First major barrier is busyness. We work, we get home, we connect with family, we eat, we go to bed, and then we do it all over again. So we have to be very intentional to connect. Second barrier is lack of trust. Maybe you've been burned in the past by people close to you or people in the church. So you keep your your distance for self-preservation, like the roly-poly bug. Another barrier is just camping out. You don't plan to stay in this area for very long. So you're just sort of camping out at this church for a while. It could be a job transfer brought you, brought you here or you're, you're in school or whatever it is. And then another barrier could be a full circle of family and friends. My, it's full up. Okay, <laughs> I'm full up. And the thought of expanding this circle seems overwhelming and it would take a lot of effort to do that. If you have a barrier, which one's yours? What is, what is keeping you from moving into the center of the church community? And I, I really don't want to guilt you into moving into church life. That's not my goal. But what I hope to do is describe the beauty of being involved in a community. We mess up. We, we disappoint each other. We hurt each other, but we, we make it right. There's this sense of forbearance and forgiveness in a, in a hometown. Yeah, 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 that's Otis. He's a, he's a drunk. You know, there's this sense of we, we love each other and we hang with each other as we walk through life. And so I, I, don't, I don't really want to guilt you into this, but I want to show the value of this thing God designed called the church in hopes that you'll take the steps to connect. The church is designed to be a relational hometown. It's not geographical. God intends for the church to provide a significant piece of what's missing in our world. And so over the next several weeks, we're going to see how the church can be a hometown that meets our need for community and beyond. That's what we're going to look at. I'd like to wrap up the message today by asking you, if you would, to take out the connection card that's in your program and complete, complete it if you haven't had an opportunity to, to this point. And then there are some next steps I'm going to suggest that you may want to also check on there. Um, here are my suggested next steps, and you may have others that God's brought to mind. But my, my next step today is to think through barriers preventing me from experiencing community within Church in the Valley. Either here or uh, maybe there's another church that you want to be a part of. But we, we need to be a char- part of a, a church. If we're trying to follow Christ, that's where the, the encouragement comes from. Um, and then secondly, thank God for the community around me. It, you know, God, God's given us great people to walk through life with. If you're a part of Church in the Valley, you've been around for a while, you, you know the support that is here. Thank God for that. And then another step would be to attend the rest of the series as we look at what God intends for the church to be. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for... the truth of your word that guides us. And thank you, God, for revealing yourself to us through the scripture, through the Bible. Thank you for making yourself known. And help us, God, to 
walk deeply with you, to, to know you better and better, to love one another here in this church body, and really take the steps to get past ourselves and serve others and find the joy that's there. We ask for your help in this, Lord, in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.